Hello and welcome to the Classroom Critics Podcast, a podcast by teachers. And we literally have just finished uh, the Orson Welles film essay, F for Fake. Uh, it's the first time I've seen it in a while, um, and I'm not sure when... It's been about a year since I've seen it, yeah. And with uh, Walt Freeman here, the very first time that you've seen it, so it's going to be interesting to hear his ins- uh, insight uh, upon the first seat. Uh, Viewing of it, so um, I mean, it's it's an incredibly unique film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know of many films like it, or if any. Um, certainly for its time, it was uh, one in a million. So, um, what, are, <coughs> what, what are your initial thoughts after seeing it for the first time, uh, or the first time in a long it time? It still comes out to be a powerful film for me. Uh, I, I don't know if we can describe it as a film. It's certainly a motion picture. Uh, Wells described it as a, a kind of cinematic essay. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it views like an essay, like he's trying to do something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet he's still choosing as his topic the idea of, at least in part, um, art and the importance of art and, and how that that. I think stands up to uh, the artifice of art, that it's all artificial in, in a way. Uh, so do you think that's his thesis? I, I, I don't know. I actually, no. I, I think his thesis, yes. Um, I, I don't know. I think his thesis is, is partially that, but also there's something about Elmir and, and Clifford Irving as well, which is, is the thesis which runs all throughout Wells' work, which he gets from Shakespeare, right? And that's the pretender to the throne. Yeah. You have the older person who is, is on top, and that older person is displaced by the younger person. Right. So for me, at least on this viewing, that's the one that I, that's that's the theme that I looked at a little bit more closely. Yeah, it's tough to put, uh, tough to put your finger on exactly what his thesis is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it has to sort of be, you know, does it really matter uh, if something's authentic? Yeah. Uh, or that all art is uh, fakery on some level. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll explore more of that as we get into the into the podcast here. So, so Walt, what did you think? Well, it's, uh, I, I'm not quite the Wells uh, aficionado that you guys are, um, and this is my first time seeing this, and I said it's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. I, I think I understand. First of all, it's fascinating and interesting and worth many repeated viewings, but I think I understand why I didn't find an audience. I think people that did see it weren't sure what to make of it. Um, you know, if you go to see a film, you, you know, a story, you're not going to necessarily see it one that you expect, and mm-hmm. if you go to see a documentary, you're going to see far more theatrical one. Um, but something uh, you would say, Andrew, it just, uh, you know, I was... For me, a lot of the time it seemed that the editing was getting in the way of whatever it is he was seeing, saying... But then, as you see, well, that's the point, isn't yeah. it? Um, it mm-hmm. It's overly edited, um, and but in a good way, not like, I think, Baz Luhrmann films that are right. so overly edited, I can't watch the story. Mm-hmm. But here, I think it, that's, you know, Wells is very deliberate in that. And so it was kind of interesting, because at first I found it off-putting, and then yeah. I found that I was, you know, unable to look away. I agree with you. I think Wells is trying to call our attention to the editing. Uh, he, he has said many times that films are made in, in, in the editing room with the moviolas. And there's a lot of shots of moviolas in this, in this film. And he's, he's, I think, again and again bringing our attention to how films are created. They're not shot continuously. 
that they're created in the editing room. Mm -hmm. um, much like art, you, you don't necessarily start in one place and and go linearly to the to the end. It's um, it's a much more complicated process than that. Mm -hmm. So Wells interrupted himself as he was filming The Other Side of the Wind uh, yeah. in the early 70s. And he you know, made this detour to make a, a film essay um, that makes a statement about art. And you just you wonder, why, why this? Why, why did Wells want to say this at this point in time? It's, it's, you know, out of all the things that he could have made a film essay about, you know, why was this on his mind? Why Wells? And I think it's very appropriate. Just, I don't think any, not just any filmmaker could have made this movie. You know, he lumps himself in with uh, the fakers, the fakers. Yeah. He calls himself a charlatan. Yeah. And I, I think he's serious when he says that, you know, that uh, he has uh, pretended, you know, throughout his career in some way, shape, or form. So... Um, you know why? Why this message? I mean, there's really no way to really get get 100 percent certainty with that. But you know, what are your thoughts on it? It's interesting because I, I think you're absolutely correct. I think he's 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 focusing on the charlatan aspect, but yet in towards the end of the film, he makes and I, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly how it went, but something like reality is is uh, your toothbrush waiting for you at home in a jar, a bus ticket, the grave. Mm. That you know, reality is is our daily routine. But it's something like art that brings us up to a higher calling. Mm -hmm. If there is a divine, then perhaps art is the divine, or how human beings reach the divine. He does that that whole monologue about Chart, you know, uh, the cathedral, and and which is, uh, you know, it, it's it's close to literature when he's talking no, no, about no. that. I mean, that could work as a, a little film in and of itself. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. And it has been isolated yeah. a few times that I've seen uh, and just put forward as like its own little. Yeah mini film uh, fascinating stuff you know what is what does a signature mean yeah you know but to, to go back to your question Bill I think it's important because I think what he's doing is he's questioning not necessarily his own work but the whole premise of art what is art and knowing what Wells went through to finance his films and all the hoops he had to jump through and all the terrible acting jobs he had to take um, and he couldn't get financing for you know other side of the wind or kept falling through that maybe he you know this was a perfect time with Clifford Irving you know his book coming out and all of that for him to explore in this way that what is art yeah. and I don't know if it's a question that he fully answers no, does he? I don't know if it's rhetorical if it's meant to be rhetorical or <laughs> if he's if he's trying to nudge us into a certain position right right <clears throat> um yeah, and I think it's very interesting that he, uh, you know, that he used all this footage that was actually that pre-existed. A lot of the footage pre-existed, from yeah. what I understand. Um, who is a documentary filmmaker that's he's seen throughout this? Who uh, Francois Reichenbach? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this this footage was basically a lot of it. The sixty millimeter stuff yeah. was unloaded on him. I mean, if you notice, there's certainly a different quality of, yeah. of the actual film throughout uh, the stuff that Wells shot. Um, was 35 millimeter, yeah. like a lot, you know, the scene at the train station yeah. and um, Ashatra and all that, um, that's 35 millimeter, but the stuff that it was given to him um, was, I'm pretty sure, a 16 millimeter. Yeah, it looks it, yeah. And so uh, he took that footage and, and made it his, you know, and, and it shows you the power of, of editing. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know. which he was really a master 
uh, add. You know, we, we talk about Wells's his ability to to you know envision how a film should look, but I, I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough is is the way that his films are edited together mm-hmm. uh, and spliced, and it's it's really it's it, that in itself is revolutionary to me, mm-hmm. the way that he's editing things together. Mm-hmm. Well. I think, you know, from what I've seen of the other side of the wind footage, that this uh, style of editing and cutting is something that, you know, is, that is, is going to be found in yeah. the other side of the wind when that finally comes out in its entirety. Very yeah. quick cuts. I don't know if there are any shots in this movie that are over a couple seconds yeah. long. You know, usually a second yeah. or less. And you think about how something like MTV revolutionized how we view things with the quick cuts and all of that and that it leads to Miami Vice and now you know we're seeing a lot of films that are quick cuts and, and mm-hmm. if Wells is doing that long before yeah. um, you know it, it says something I was struck by the scene there's a scene where um, Irving and Almir seem to be being disingenuous with one another and this goes back to our, our talk where he really wants us to pay attention to the editing because they kept showing non-sequitur reaction shots where you know they're not even in the same room but it seems as if they're giving disbelieving expressions back and forth and it goes on for a a ridiculously long time just like the (laughs) shots of the woman walking overly long and so it's almost you know it seems to be intentional Um, but you know we see movies for example you see a, 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 a trailer for a movie and then you come then you go see the movie and you realize that in the trailer they were putting reaction shots into things that weren't sequential in the film and they're just doing it for yeah. some effect and he's doing that almost on steroids there mm-hmm. and again I think just to draw attention to the fact that you can make a, a film say anything you want it to say if you put it together correctly mm-hmm. which is an obvious statement but, um, but it's it's even more important today isn't it I mean one of the reasons we wanted to, to talk about this film at this time is is because of the whole kind of fake news phenomena that you know, we don't know what's real and what isn't. It seems to me that this film, at least partially, is talking a lot about that, and it's it's kind of it's got renewed interest for me. Mm-hmm. I go back tonight. I watched the film in a different way than I watched it even a year ago. Um, just thinking about okay, so if we're talking about art, I get it. You know, we don't know what is. I'm not an expert. I don't know what's a real painting or what isn't. Um, I'm a book collector, but I'm you know I, I could be fooled with a first edition. But when we're watching the news, how do we know what the truth is? And maybe the truth happens, you know, bits and pieces, and, and people splice things together to make us think that something is true. It certainly happened with Facebook during the last election. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you could look at this film, I think, in an entirely different way today, um, talking about truth and, and what is true. It's just, it's become, all, you know, politicized uh, mm-hmm. to, a, to a disturbing degree, but... Yeah, it's just it's how things are presented. You know, you have the mm-hmm. uh, let's say the documentary, um, and actually you can kind of almost categorize it as a as an essay film. Um, Blackfish. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, it's a film uh, that presents obviously a certain point of view. Yeah. Um, but if you think about it, I mean, someone else could take footage or or whatever they would want to bring into it and present um, SeaWorld as, as a, a heroic entity, mm-hmm. you know, just, just how it's presented and, and what facts they choose to put forward and what facts they choose to ignore. Um, and it's, it's really difficult in, the, in a world filled with, when we're bombarded by so much media, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, what's true, what's not, who are the experts? And, and doesn't Wells bring that into question yeah. in this film? Who are the experts? And are the experts, you know, are they really expert? Um, just because everyone says they're expert, are they, I, you know? And I, from what we've heard, from what I've heard, you can go to any museum, any major museum in the country, and you're going to, you know, the chances are there's going to be a, a forged mm-hmm. masterpiece on the wall. Yeah. You know, and that's, uh, that's, that's kind of scary. It, it calls into question credentialing, doesn't it? Uh, where, where does one get one's credentials for, mm-hmm. uh, from, and, and what do those credentials mean? Um, certainly with the, with the dawn of YouTube and the Internet, uh, credentials are suspect. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, you know, this film is so much more prophetic than what I thought it was. I, I always thought it was ahead of its time, but now, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's really saying something different. Yeah. And as a, someone who writes creatively... Uh, you know, when I bring my work to people who I consider to be expert at mm-hmm. evaluating, um, you know, uh, whatever imaginative writing uh, fiction, and I give them, let's say, a, a draft. You know, one person will look at it and, and they'll, you know, they'll pinpoint things that they think don't work, and another person might point to those things as wonderful. Yeah. They work very well. It's just there's so much, uh, um, you know, subjectivity to to all this. Well, you had said earlier, um, you know, why would Wells take a break from the middle of filming one film to make this? And I don't know, as, as an artist, sometimes you get an itch mm-hmm. you have to scratch. And a notion, you know, it's like lightning in a bottle, and you know it may not come again. You capture it while it's hot, maybe he's lying awake at night thinking about this, his frustrations with the other film and the financing and, 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 and get him to musing on this subject. And then maybe a perfect storm of things. He has access to Irving and Elmir. This, the, the other filmmaker gives him this stuff and maybe yeah. he has figured out strike while the iron is hot. And, you know, who knows? But, That's a good uh, point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think many of us who work on any given project, whatever it might be, especially create, creatively, Sometimes, yeah, you put it well. It's an, it's an itch you get a scratch, and you you sort of. It's tough to focus on one thing for a long duration. You know, you you sometimes get distracted. And isn't the artist a restless soul to begin with? Certainly, I would Wells, think. Yeah. Especially, Wells. Wells. especially Wells. Yeah. I mean, how many times did he not complete right. project because he was going off doing something else? Yeah. Have you ever had that one though? Like uh, that piece that I wrote, I've written a million times about Vietnam. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's a story I want to tell and I can't tell it. And so I'm in the middle of writing it and it just never comes out. Every yeah. draft I'm dissatisfied with, so I turn to other things. And at some point you, you take a mental break from it. Another piece maybe springs out more fully formed, but you go back to wrestle this thing into shape. It never comes into shape. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can see that. You, you, you know, there was a, There's a documentary on the disc there about mm-hmm. all of his unfinished projects. And, uh, you <laughs> there's know, a few of them, I yeah. think that's yeah. the problem with a genius who's an idea person, that another idea comes along that diverts your attention, weakens your, your input on something else, and you pursue what's hot because you never know what'll what'll come to fruition from yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think Wells was also skeptical about um, so called experts, critics, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I as, agree. as someone who like for example, I mean Wells was obviously involved with theater for much of his life and uh, you know, especially on, in New York, on, I mean, a, a show could be just completely um, put out of its misery with 
one bad review, yeah. one critic. Uh, after one night. After yeah. one mm-hmm. night. Uh, and it, I, I would, you know, imagine that that could be extremely <laughs> disheartening. Yeah. Uh, Working on it for that long. Both of you are playwrights. You, you, you know, can yeah. identify with that, I'm oh, sure. No doubt. But, <laughs> you know, all, all that work just completely mm-hmm. killed um, because one person is deemed to be an expert and, and listened to because they're given that, that platform. Um, and so perhaps Wells is asking his viewers to uh, take so-called expertise with a grain of salt, you know. When you put him up, you know, he's on a scale far grander than, than what our work has been on. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you you put something out to that large of an audience and, and you're just going to, at some some corner of the world is going to be skewering you. Some corner is going to be embracing you. Mm-hmm. You know, but the people that are judging you in the public eye, some high-powered people, mm-hmm. you know, the top critics, and the venues, and I mean that that kind of pressure has got to be just dreadful for an artist. Yeah, especially when you make <clears throat> Citizen Kane in, in your twenties and, and everything else, you have to live up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even that there there was some poor yeah you know reviews over right and uh, you know his his work was very unique and uh, not necessarily for. You know, for a general mass audience, and it was misunderstood. And I don't think that this film was for a mass audience. I'm, I, I, the more I think about it, I, I don't know if he was making this for a particular audience, and more of a an art crowd or or, or film students or something like that, yeah. or maybe out of his own uh, need to make something, not necessarily to make a film that would resonate with people, because sure. I do think that there is something different about this particular film. Yeah. It it isn't um it isn't the stranger or lady from Shanghai where he is trying to reach a, a kind of mass audience. This is this is something a little different, I think. Well that's what he was going for. He was going for different. He was going going for unique. Yeah. Um you know, he was I mean he was I mean some of the film you could sort of point to it and say, Well, that seems kind of incoherent. Yeah. But I think that's what he wanted, you know, it's it's what he was going for. I mean uh you know, um, sometimes when you, sometimes you sort of reject something that's, or part of you wants to reject something that's jarring and yeah. different, and uh, you know, and sometimes jarring and different is good. Sometimes jarring and different is not good. Um, sometimes it takes further consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And I do think that this is a film that takes further consideration. I think this is something you have to digest for a while, as you as you said yourself, Walter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you're talking about how you can look at it in the context of fake news today, you know, my mind is over here going, Yeah. Suddenly I'm seeing, well, you know, yeah, it's so much to process the first time you see it uh, that, you know, when, when someone else gives you an idea and a way to look at it, now now I want to see it again. I want yeah. to look at it in a different vein. You know, Wells always strikes me, though, um, he is he's a true genius, and yet he has armor on all the time against the world his his baritone his mm-hmm. pomposity his grandeur his uh, occasional diva like behavior is to me you know a defense against a deep insecurity about the true artist and mm-hmm. what they have about their art and then when you see him in those you know in the later years of his life arguing with the director of a frozen pea commercial yeah. or being drunk on camera at a commercial and and that's that's just the extension of where that that insecurity and attempt to, you know, maintain bravado takes you, and, and 
it's not uh, yeah. not so much the mark of a man in decline, but a mark of a man who's I think been vastly misunderstood for mm-hmm. much of his career. Yeah, what does it say about someone like Wells, <clears throat> who, as you you referenced the frozen peas commercial? Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, um, I know sometime in the I think '60s, late '60s, uh, maybe even early '70s, um, Wells took on a you know a uh, voiceover, not a voiceover, but like a I don't know, it was a I think it was TV, a voiceover. Yeah, he was doing a yeah. TV commercial. Yeah, because there was image. He, was, yeah. he mentioned imagery in the the banter there, and uh, you know, it was, it was you know he he did so many uh, of these commercials just to you know obtain funds for his pro- projects because he couldn't get any from um, from producers. Anyhow, and he just sort of um, just goes on this major rant about you know how he just disagreed with the the copy he was reading. Uh, yeah. He did not like the uh, the directing that was going on, and uh, you know it, it, it's it was it's just very bizarre to think that he cared so much. I mean, for, for most people, they'd be like, "This is whatever. This is just a, a paycheck. I'll read it, whatever, and just leave." But he was arguing it like he was, you know, arguing uh, with uh, an actor or collaborator over something, in, you know, on a Shakespeare, yeah. Shakespeare play. Yeah. And you just want, you know, what, <laughs> what psychologically, why would that, why would, why is that necessary? Because it, it could it be a performance where at one point it starts out as maybe a disagreement and then at some point he's taking stock of himself and it turns into maybe, I'm just going to dig my heels in on this because for this moment this matters. I'm going ar- to argue frozen peas and the nuances of the copy as if we're talking Shakespeare. Yeah. And in a sense, maybe he's self-aware, maybe he's not. I don't know. You know, what's funny is the last thing that he says, I mean, sums up a lot about Wells' frustrations. Uh, the last piece of audio in that clip before the recording stops is, no money is worth this, and he storms out. <laughs> so he... Over peace. Yeah. Yeah. He, he quit the job because he did not like the copy he was reading about a frozen peas commercial. I, on one on one hand, you could see that as integrity, right? The integrity of the artist. On the other hand, it's just bullheadedness. You know, uh, <laughs> it's just pigheadedness. You know? I mean, it's, he just—it's not—it's not even art, right? I mean, it's not even <laughs> art, right? It's a, you're selling a product, and 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 if you need the money, we've all done things that that we don't like to do because we need the money, yeah. um, and you, you just do. It's not ethically challenging, you know. It's frozen peas. One thing that Will said. Uh, he said when he you know, was talking about like the jobs that he took on, you know, that were way beneath him. I forget, you know, who he said this to or who relayed this, but he said every time I take a job like that and do it, uh, a piece of me is chipped away. Mm. You know, and it's it's true because it, you know it sort of cheapened him. Um, well, you know, people who looked at him, I guess, superficially, right? It did. For the general public, and you know, and of course, by this time that he's making this film, he's no longer, you know, and he hasn't been for some time an A-lister, right? He's been reduced to going to talk shows, doing commercials. Uh, nobody will fund him for films. Even his good friend Peter Bogdanovich can't get anything started for him. Yeah, and and I, you know, the more I think about that relationship with with Wells and Peter Bogdanovich, you know, I think Bogdanovich probably could have done more for him, and I don't know why he didn't. Yeah, um, and, and I don't think that that's too far off the realm of what this film is talking about too. Mm-hmm. When we when we talk about the the old and the young, that sure. very Shakespearean theme and the pretenders to the throne, which is the the main theme of the other side of the wind. Yeah. 
yeah. which is something that preoccupied Wells, I think, even from the beginning. Because he was a very old soul when he was acting in Dublin, and as we see in this film, when he was selling, you know, um, paintings in Dublin. Sixteen years 16, old. Sixteen, yeah. Um, <laughs> they say uh, there are many households in Dublin, many village uh, yeah. homes that have original... Boy, would I love to get a hold of one of those. <laughs> Quite the bohemian yeah. uh, lifestyle for a 16-year-old. Oh, no doubt, yeah. And then he had the audacity, and he, he cited this as one of his early uh, acts of... Uh, charlatanism. Yeah, when he goes to the the um, the theater, the, the gate, the, the gate yeah, theater, yeah. Yeah. and uh, presents himself as a uh, yeah. as a bona fide uh, Broadway actor. Yeah, and um, and I think this is where he meets Michael Macleamore, and and, and 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 he falls in with that particular crowd, yeah. who also claimed that they didn't fall for it, but they liked, yeah, they yeah. liked his, you know. His charm and yeah. audacity. I think that's yeah. the perfect word, the audacity. And maybe the artist needs to have that kind of ego, that audacity. Maybe the ones who don't make it are the ones who don't believe in themselves mm-hmm. to that particular point. For people who knew him, even notable people, they say there was no one more space displacing than Orson Welles. Yeah. You know, just when you were in a room with him, it's you were, you were in his world. You were in his orbit. Um, and it's funny you mentioned earlier about how he had this armor and about him. Well, and uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, even when he was, you know, trying to be, even when he's trying to be humble, it sounds like a, a boast. You <laughs> yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. This is a guy who knew something about everything. Yeah. I mean, he was really, I, I think, truly a genius on 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 the most if I could use this phrase, on the most authentic level. Even though he suffered from artistic attention deficit disorder, um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's still uh, far and above, you know, what, what other people are doing. You know, as a professor of literature, I, I've learned more about Shakespeare from Wells, from his films and from his interviews, than I have from any course I took mm-hmm. as, as an undergraduate or a graduate student uh, uh, about Shakespeare. He had a great vision with uh, about Shakespeare, yeah. you know, he really did. And he wrote very early on, you know, that um, guide to Shakespeare when he was still... Yeah, that's, I'd forgotten about that. Oh, You're yeah, right. 12 or 13. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Complete commentary of, uh, yeah. of Shakespeare's work. So, it's, 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 I mean, he's it's a, a true Renaissance man. Yeah, you know? um, I, I think so. He, he, he was a painter himself. Um, if you think about the different areas of the arts that he was a uh, mover and shaker in, you know, he, obviously theater, he was... Mm-hmm. He changed American theater in his own way. Radio. Radio. Uh, uh, film, of course. Um, you know, he didn't really make much of an impact when it comes to television. He tried. He, he tried, yeah. Uh, there are some pilot episodes of, um, I'm drawing a blank as to what it was called, but they exist on YouTube. Yeah. And they were just very interesting uh, uh, takes on, on what television could do. It's certainly, I think you're right, he, it was a medium he wanted to, to explore. And, mm-hmm. and I think he probably, think about what he could have done today if Netflix existed when he was, or yeah. HBO, the way they're putting out those kinds of yeah. independent films today. A lot of uh, original self-financed content. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you don't need a million dollars anymore to That's make right. a movie. That's yeah. right, you know? with the technology. And, and it shows that he was... He, he wasn't a man of his time. You know, he was ahead of it, and, and at the same time... A night, very much a 19th century soul. He was. Uh, there's that interview with Bogdanovich, the three, uh, three and a half hour uh, interview. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've heard that. Um, it's basically uh, 
Yeah, it's kind of a fly on the wall kind of thing. He's, yeah. t- he's talking to Bogdanovich and just has the tape recorder rolling. And at one point, uh, Wells was talking about how when he first started to learn cinematography through um, Greg Tolan when they were shooting Kane, uh, Wells said to, to Greg Tolan, isn't it kind of silly that the film and the lens are in the same unit? Mm. You know, um, of course, that was only because of the limitations of technology. Right, right. But he thought, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be much better if the lens uh, was sort of the eye, and you can move it anywhere you wanted, uh, but it was actually recorded somewhere, somewhere else. else. Yeah, yeah, somewhere. So he was basically <laughs> talking about digital filmmaking yeah. and wireless. Uh, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, it's it was impossible at the time, but uh, you know, he says in this interview, you know, that one day that will happen. You know. So it's really amazing. That's where I always throw back to uh, Buster Keaton, the, the I'm a fan of, who took the camera and didn't make it a passive observer. He, yeah, he, he moved it around and mm-hmm. made it as you know part of the storytelling, and uh, yeah. that's fun stuff. I hope one day we'll get to look yeah. at that. Yeah, we will. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, notable scenes in Effort Fake. Um, I mean, we talked about the uh, the cathedral. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that might very well be the. Uh, most profound moment in the film. Um, anything else that stands out to you? It, you know, there's a lot of a lot of shots that, um, you know, excellent use of mise en scène, and he, he can pose. You can see the the painterly eye in some of the shots. There's a shot of the church in the background in the fog, and it's just yeah. uh, it's perfectly framed. He's in there with the, the stark trees mm-hmm. in the background, and you can definitely see his eye for composition. Um, oh, absolutely, camera placement. The fact that he captures the different seasons. Yeah. Yeah. But the one that really struck me, and again, it turns out in the end, I don't know if I should warn about spoilers here if you haven't seen this film, but the last 17 minutes when he talks about the woman that Picasso painted. Oya Kodar. um, There's that scene, you know, again, the endless shots of her walking through the streets of Ibiza. Ibiza? Ibiza. Ibiza, yeah. And uh, then the cut to him, Picasso, supposedly, still a photograph of him, but it looks as if he's looking through the blinds, and you always hear the blinds opening and shutting as if, you know, he's spying, and it's a, I just can remember, you know, he's manipulating us into looking at Picasso as a kind of a pervert, and then, of course, the big reveal is what it is, but uh, yeah. he does that, and the, the, the piece of Picasso that he uses it's just a still photograph. Mm-hmm. Black and white at that time. Yeah, <laughs> right, and right, then, right. But he also cuts it with a, a couple of close-ups of painted eyes. I think they're Picasso paintings that, that mirror his own eyes. And so that it ends this sort of uh, air of credibility to what's being mm-hmm. said. And it's, in the end, you know, you, you he, the reveal, and you're like, oh, okay, well, I was, you know, and we're easily manipulated there. Do you think that was a cheap shot at the end? The reveal? Oh, I think it proves the point of what he's saying. I think it's like, you know, the film opens with him doing magician tricks yeah. and sleight of hand, and that is just a just a filmic magician's trick. It's a yeah. frame it frames it. Because uh, mm-hmm. then he cuts at one point to that little boy that was in the opening scene yeah. and just say, see, this is all yeah. This is all fakery of a of sleight of hand of some sort. Yeah. 
And it doesn't have to be very realistic, like you said, yeah. black and white film. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we buy it. I, I, I like talking about scenes. I like that first scene in the train station. I just like the the feel of it mm-hmm. and the way that it's shot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something playful in it uh, where, you, where you don't see a, 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 a. I don't know. I just it's the playfulness of it. Yeah. Again, 35 millimeter yeah. footage. It's excellent. Um, beautifully shot. Beautifully shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I don't know if you noticed, but. Um, uh, Orson Welles, in a lot of his films, did not record um, audio tracks when he was filming. He would dub it in later. Um, uh, for some, you know, for for some, you know, in some occasions because the audio track wasn't great when he, you know, he, he would shoot, you know, shoot it with the audio track, but it just wasn't satisfactory, and so he would. Uh, you know, do it in the studio, but um, in, in many cases with this, especially the 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. millimeter footage, um, you can tell it's dubbed in. Yeah, and it kind of, I think, kind of adds to the magical quality of it. You know, I think when you dub something in, um, you know, you don't necessarily capture a lot of the ambient sound, um, and it just sort of gives it kind of like the uh, slightly off-putting, but yeah. And this was actually one of the big criticisms when they restored Othello was that you know it's 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 a brilliant piece but flawed because of the audio right. and some of the things that that were going on with the audio. But uh, yeah, you're right. He he, it's something that runs throughout most of his later films, isn't it? That, that sort of yeah. Well, I think it, I think it adds to it. I, I, yeah. I like it. It's kind of like you know sometimes when you listen to great old recordings, uh, some of the anomalies are are, yeah. are fun. They're interesting. Yeah. You know, like. Uh, you know, if you if you isolated a lot of let's say, Beatle tracks, right, you'd hear a ton of flaws in the playing. Yeah, you'd hear sour notes, uh, you'd hear sing, flat singing, but you put it all together, it works really really yeah. well. I mean, if if you ever in the you know, I guess I'm a kind of a, a, a music nerd when I you know, especially a Beatle nerd, but sometimes you you listen to the isolated Beatle tracks that you can find on. On uh, so YouTube, for example, yeah. um, listen to. Uh, oh, I know I'm on a tangent here, but you you listen to the the isolated track of let's say Helter Skelter, uh, of the bass. It's it's just completely sloppy. And, yeah. Um, but you put it all together, and sometimes it's, you know, what is it? The the, the whole is greater than the sum of the yeah. parts. You know, that think that holds true with. Uh, it also a testament to, to to George Martin, isn't it? And and what he could mm-hmm. do in the studio. Definitely. So, I mean, there is that correspondence between, you know, what happens at the Moviola and what happens in the recording studio when you're putting everything together. Right. And just that, you know, in films especially, sometimes just, again, just the anomalies and the limitations of the time period. Right. Make make a piece very interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, there's nothing that I hate more than than an overproduced film or oh, an yeah. overproduced piece of music. Yeah, uh, it just sounds plastic and it it resonates plastic. It's the problem I have with all the superhero movies. Yeah, you know that it's just that it's too sharp. Too sharp. It's too close. Too perfect. Yeah, I'd rather see you know when it comes to uh, I don't know, let's say science fiction films or fantasy films. I'd rather see puppet puppetry. Yeah, you yeah, know, a, lot, a lot of the time rather than CG. Yeah. Uh, effects and um, you know and, and people sometimes will complain they, they can't get they'll see an old movie and they can't get past the limitations of the technology and yeah. they, you know they, they, they won't give it a chance because yeah. of that but a, a gunshot with no blood right you know I'm thinking of the Humphrey Bogart <laughs> films and, uh, and, or, and like Casablanca yeah. yeah 
when the guy gets shot in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or, or I think uh, for me, I think the most uh, notable example is uh, Sunset Boulevard yeah. when uh, uh, the, William Holden's character is dead in a pool with gunshots, and there's absolutely no, no blood, blood in yeah. the pool. <laughs> so, but. Um, yeah, I mean, anything, anything else? Any, well, uh, but it's ironic because then you take a movie, uh, well, you were saying superhero movie, now you watch some of the modern superhero movies, and they're wiping out thousands of people as the aliens invade the city. Yeah. You see almost no deaths, no blood. Um, and so we've come full circle to that. That's too. true. It's, it's a very, I think about that. It's yeah. a very sterile, sterile kind of thing because there's almost... You know, in one case, you know, it was more personal back then. Now it's it's so impersonal yeah. that you look at it and you go, oh, there's another sky beam, another alien invasion. There's no, I have no stake in this because it's not gonna, you yeah. know, not gonna come to anything. Yeah, I, I mean, those flying saucer images that that he that he dumped into this film are, I, you know, I love them. You know, they're completely fake, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're awful, but they're they're a good awful. Well, those, yeah. I, I saw that movie when I was a kid, yeah. and, I, and I, I think there's a scene where the, the ray hits people and skeletonizes them, <laughs> and when I was a kid, that that was terrifying yeah. to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they did a good job painting those Frisbees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right, right, and of course, this is yet another collaboration with Oya Kodar, right? That uh, is yeah. is is big time collaborator um, yeah. and lover, and and, and right. that that kind of dynamic that's working there. Well, she was Wells's lover, yeah, and, and he's married, you know, at the time to yeah. to Paula Mori, and um, it's 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 strange. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting uh, dynamic there. You know, he he lived with Oya for the last what. 20 years of something like that something yeah like a long time yeah um, but he did not get a divorce yep and, uh, I mean <laughs> very bizarre yeah good for him <laughs> that was Walt and that came out entirely <laughs> different than I intended I uh, hope you're not listening <laughs> this is alright um, so I think I think that's it I mean I uh it's a film that you should see if you haven't seen it. Um, unique, track it down. Very unique experience. Very unique film. Um, I wish more of them, yeah. I wish there were more movies like this made. Or more expo- exploration of the medium of yeah. film. Uh, it seems to be one of those mediums that has been sort of determined. This is how you make a movie. This is what expe- is expected. And then it's, it's sort of been the same way. Um, yeah. So, but I think that's it. What do you think? I think so. I think uh, you know when when movies have to make money, we lose movies like this. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, we want to thank everyone for uh, joining us. This is um, um, for 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 fake, um, and I am here with Walter Freeman. Hello, Andrew Martino. I didn't think we introduced ourselves at the beginning. We just sort of got right into it. Andrew Martino and I am. Uh, Bill Ivers, and we hope uh, that you'll go on to Facebook um, or um, Apple iTunes and rate our show. Tell us what you think, and we hope you'll uh, join us next time on The Classroom Critics. Thank you.